We do congratulate you and Jane on being grandparents again. It is wonderful being grandparents, as many of you in this room uh, could give testimony. As we come together to pray before the message this morning, I want to give you a, just a very brief word on faithful God, faithful future, just so that you will know that nothing, the situation is not, nothing is going on. There is lot, a lot going on. The architects are busy at work. They've done, at our request, several revisions. Uh, they've done a great job, but when you look, there are things that we feel like needed to be redone, and they are doing that. And uh, we are very, very soon, and when I say soon, I mean within just a few weeks, uh, we're going to have something for everyone to look at and for an opportunity for you uh, to share with us what you see, and it's exciting, so just keep praying. Many of you have already started giving, even um, without seeing what the new thing is going to look like, and God bless you for that. Uh, so very soon, okay, very, very soon, just a few more weeks, and we'll be ready for what we'll call the, the big reveal or the unveiling for you. Today, as we pray we are grateful to God that our mission team to Taiwan and Thailand have returned safely, and we'll look forward to hearing what all God has done in and through them. We have a team in Indonesia right now, and they are busy on the Lord's Day ministering there, and so please continue to pray for them. And our focused prayer today is for a ministry that we support, and that is Global Gates, Tom and Bonnie Heron are our representatives as we support Global Gates, and they serve in Austin. Tom and Bonnie, once members of our church, Tom was the BSM director at Merhart and Baylor, and Bonnie was on our staff. God called them to missions. They served in Brazil and Italy, and now are serving with Global Gates and reaching immigrants in the Austin area with the good news of Jesus Christ. So we pray for them. And then as we pray today, we grieve at what happened at the synagogue in Pittsburgh yesterday. A horrific, horrific event that breaks our hearts. We condemn as God's people. We condemn every act of anti-Semitism. This was a horrific, vicious act. I am grateful that the one who did this has been apprehended and pray that justice will be done in his life. And we pray for those who suffered loss, that God will comfort and encourage them, that Christ might gain the glory in an event like this, that his name will be glorified, that people would come to know him as Savior. And it's very important that we stand together in the face of a growing anti-Semitism in our world today, and we oppose that virulently and with all of our strength. So let's pray today for our friends in Pittsburgh. Father, we grieve at what happened yesterday. It seems that things like this are happening over and over and over again, so much so that we aren't as shocked as we once were. But, Father, our hearts are heavy for those who lost loved ones yesterday for this horrific act of anti-Semitism in our own nation and, Father, we pray for your comfort for those who suffered loss. We pray for peace in our land, for 
revival to come to our nation. And Father, if it would please you to begin with us, then we would give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. I pray, Father, for wisdom for our leaders. I pray for guidance, for gracious hearts and spirits. And Father, as we approach a very, very important time of election that you would give to us wisdom as we participate in the great uh, democracy, the, the, the republic government that you have given to us here in the United States. And I pray that we would all be active and participating in that. So, Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would descend over uh, Pittsburgh today that you will make yourself known in a way that only you can do. And I pray for comfort for each and every one in that synagogue, in that neighborhood, in that community, for your strength for them today. Father, bless the herons in their work with Global Gates. Bless our team in Indonesia. Thank you for the safe return of our team from Thailand and Taiwan. And we pray now that you will speak to us from your precious word in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the sixth chapter. The prophet Isaiah, the sixth chapter, will read in a moment the first eight verses of Isaiah chapter six. We are continuing our series on what every Christian should know. We've talked about are you a Christian for certain? Then we've talked about what every Christian should know about the Bible, about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about prayer, about how to grow, about the church, about missions, about the Lord's Supper, about baptism last Sunday, what every Christian should know about grace. And today what every Christian should know about worship. Stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, the incredible first eight verses of Isaiah's sixth chapter. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. You may be seated. 
Worship means to honor, to reverence, to regard with great or extravagant respect. Honor, devotion, literally the word means bow toward. The Hebrew word saha and the Greek word proskuneo both carry with them the idea of bowing or bowing toward the Lord. Pure adoration, the lifting of the spirit toward God in contemplation of and thinking of His holiness or simply Worship is about God. Each week, millions of people go to a place of worship. A place like this. They take many shapes and forms from magnificent, enormous cathedrals, small wood frame country churches, to houses, to schools, to places out in open air, people go to worship God, to acknowledge God, to acknowledge His greatness. And in going to many different places of worship, They worship God in many different styles, from the very, very formal to the very, very informal. And basically, you could divide all those who go to a place of worship into one of two categories, one being those who connect with God, the other being those who simply go through the motions. They can be on the same pew. In fact, a husband and a wife can be seated next to each other in a service of worship and one of them connects with God and the other simply goes through the motions. You can be seated next to your best friend and one of you connects with God, the other simply goes through the motions. Some leave a place of worship thrilled, warmed, encouraged, challenged, or convicted. Some leave Bored, indifferent, or even mad. Mad because it was too long. Or mad because it was too hot. Or mad because it was too cold. Or whatever. People can be in the same room, experience supposedly the same things, and leave feeling completely different about what they've experienced. Some base their worship experience on a sermon or a choir or a solo or a praise team. So what is this really all about? And that's what we want to spend the next few minutes talking about, what every Christian should know about worship. Isaiah went to the temple. He was sad 
because the king of Judah, Uzziah, had died. Uzziah was his friend, his personal friend, and also had been a good king, a man who loved God. Isaiah had a worship experience that we just read about that is unlike what most of us have ever known in all of our lives And so we want to think about that worship experience this morning. So I'm not going to deal with the elements of worship, like sermon, like singing, like giving, like praying, and other elements of worship. I think we all know, at least intellectually, if not experientially, that the Bible makes it clear that we are to participate in every element of worship, including lifting your voice in praise to God without regard to what the voice may sound like. Sometimes, especially men, will say, nobody wants to hear me sing. And that is not true. There is at least one who wants to hear you sing, and that one is the most important and the object of your singing, and that is God himself. Now, it may be true that your neighbor is not excited about hearing you, but he or she does not count. The only one that counts is God, and so we lift our voices in praise to him And quite frankly, we should do so loudly with great love and enthusiasm. So we should participate in every element of worship. But what I want to focus on is not the individual elements of worship as much as worship itself. So first of all, let's make this clear. Worship has a definition. Worship has a definition to honor and to reverence God. It is active. It is not passive. Christian worship is not a state of being. Christian worship is not passive. Christian worship is active. Now, there are Eastern religions that are passive And their worship is more a state of being than anything else. But that is not biblical Christianity. Worship for the Christian is active. It is something that we do, something in which we participate. Worship can be private or it can be public. But let it be clear, we should do both. Private worship does not replace public worship, nor public replacing private. In regard to public worship, in a place with other believers, it is clear from Scripture that we as believers are to worship publicly with brothers and sisters in Christ. For instance, in Hebrews it says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. Already in the first century, there were those who claimed to be believers who were forsaking worship with God's people. And the scripture says, no, that is not an option. 
perhaps the exception to that being physical illness or disability, but otherwise we are to worship together with God's people. Private worship is something that you do at home alone or someplace alone, and both are important, but since we are in this room, don't forget the command to worship together publicly. Now, this will not surprise you. You can be a Christian without going to church, and you can be married without ever going home. But in both instances, you will have a very poor relationship. We are to worship together with God's people. Worship is not focused on one element like a sermon or like a song. The focus of worship is on God. It is an intimate experience, not a a distant experience, but an intimate experience. It is an act that brings healing of the soul. It brings knowledge and it brings intimacy with God. It is something for which we prepare. And I'm not talking about the way we dress. I'm talking about the preparation of the heart. We prepare for worship in our hearts in the days that lead up to our gathering, for instance, in this place. That's where your private worship comes in. You prepare in your private worship for joining together with God's people in public worship. Now, we can worship anytime, anywhere, but corporate worship with the church is commanded and it is to be treasured. It is to be treasured. Eugene Peterson died this week. Did you hear? A very well-known pastor, very well-known author, Bible translator. Uh, He will be missed. In his book, Take and Read, Eugene Peterson said this. He says he needs worship for two reasons. First, it helps me understand what reality is. I encounter such constant and widespread lying about reality each day and meet with such skilled and systematic distortion of the truth that I'm always in danger of losing my grip on reality. The reality, of course, is that God is sovereign and Christ is Savior. Second, worship helps me to put the world in perspective. Very often when I leave a place of worship, the first impression I have of the so-called outside world is how small it is, how puny its politics, paltry its appetites, squint-eyed its interests. I have just spent an hour or so with friends reorienting myself in the realities of the world, the huge sweep of salvation and the minutiae and, and the minute particular, particularities of holiness. And I blink my eyes in disbelief that so many are willing to live in such reduced and cramped conditions. 
Worship is important. I need it. Eugene Peterson said he needed it. You and I need worship. So worship has a definition. If you want to sum it up in just a word or phrase, it's to honor or reverence God. Now, the second thing that I want us to notice from this text is worship is seeing God. I want you to look back at verse 1. Worship is seeing God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What a sight that must have been. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Do these words sound familiar? Have you sung these words? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Worship is seeing God, the Holy One. Isaiah had a vision that that you and I may never have before heaven. But what we can have in worship is the sense of God's presence and God's pleasure with us for loving Him. He is worthy of our worship. He is our Creator. He is our Sustainer. He is our Savior. He is the Giver of all blessings. Don't Christian, don't ever let it be said of any Christian in this room that we make God look small by the way that we act or the things that we say. God is not small. He is God Almighty. And He gave His Son, Jesus, for our sin so that we can have forgiveness, so that we can be in His presence for eternity and so that we can glorify his name now and forever. He's not the man upstairs. He is not your good buddy. Don't use those terms. Nor is he distant or impersonal. He is God Almighty, the Holy One, Great and powerful and good, the worthy one who has chosen to have a personal, intimate relationship with you and with me. Utterly amazing. Don't come to a place like this and miss him. Don't miss him. How may we miss him when we gather together? Well, it's not hard. If our mind is elsewhere... If our focus is on people or if we are self-centered, we can miss him altogether. I'm amazed every time I read the story found in Luke chapter 5 where the disciples have been out fishing. They didn't catch anything. It's one of those, anybody who's a fisherman knows that those times it just doesn't happen. And so the disciples brought their boats in. They we're wasting our time out here. Nothing's going to happen. Uh, Jesus then says 
to the disciples after he had finished speaking to the crowd, go back out, put out into the deep water and drop your nets for a catch. Now, some of these guys are pros. I mean, they've been doing this for a living. They know fishing backwards and forwards. This is a bad day. Nothing's going to happen. The fish aren't biting or they're not coming into the net. It's just not going to happen. So Peter voices that by saying, you know, um, (laughs) we've been out a long time and implication is we know what we're talking about and you don't implication is it's a lot of work to turn these boats around and go back out again but peter said since you said so we'll do it so out they go drop the nets and what happened they caught so many fish that they had to ask other boats to come and help them get it in and bring it all to shore So the part I love is what happens next. Peter, Simon Peter, looked at Jesus and fell on his knees because he is recognizing who he is. And he falls on his knees and he says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter is feeling the awe and the majesty that comes from being in the presence of God in the flesh. So in worship, we see God. Now that brings us to the third thing. Worship is seeing yourself. Now look at verse 4 again. Worship is seeing yourself. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe! To me, I cried, Isaiah, woe to me, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Worship is seeing yourself, and when that happens, your response is one of humility. It's one of humility. It can be painful. We see God, we see ourselves, and Just between you and me and the door, that's why some people don't want to go to worship. They don't want to see themselves unless they're being made to feel good about themselves. And sometimes that is exactly appropriate that we feel good about ourselves. And here's what I mean by that. We are loved by God. We are treasured by God. We are created in the image of God. And we are valued by God. Don't ever forget it. But Isaiah was brought to confession because he's a sinner. And we are too. In worship, we are brought to a point of confession because we know in the presence of God, I know what I've said, I know what I've done, I know what I've thought, I know what I haven't done this week. And I need to confess. And that's good because God shows us our sin so that we can be forgiven and have the freedom that comes in a right relationship with him. 
It's like working in your yard and getting mud and muck all over you. You're hot, you're sweaty, you go inside and you get a shower and it feels incredible. In the same way, but to a heightened degree, worship draws us to see ourselves, our sin, and then we confess and receive forgiveness and we have the refreshment of that intimacy with God that he intends for us all along. Now that brings us to the third thing. Worship is seeing grace. Remember grace from last week? Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Here are the words that Isaiah needed to hear, and so do I, and so do you. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for your grace, for your forgiveness. This was for Isaiah an incredible experience of grace, God's gift, and the same thing can happen to us in worship. We do not come to worship to congratulate ourselves for being wonderful. We come to thank God for loving us even though we aren't so wonderful. We find freedom. We find forgiveness. We find cleansing. We find healing. And we find fellowship with God and with each other. We're saved by grace. We live by grace. We worship by grace. Now that brings us to the last thing that every Christian ought to know about worship. Worship is seeing obedience. Look back at verse 8. After this incredible experience, after forgiveness, his guilt taken away, his sin atoned for, Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. So in worship... We think, what am I to do? There is action to be taken. And so as we sense the movement and the pressure and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we ask ourselves, what do you want me to do? And when God tells us, then our response is, here am I. I will do it. Here am I, send me. Because worship is more than just our leaving a place, feeling the presence of God and feeling exhilarated and grateful and thankful. It is also one more step. It is leaving in obedience. I will do what you want me to do. I think of Romans 12 where Paul said, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I, I offer 
my body to you. What do you want me to do this week? And do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's what happens in worship. We leave here with goals and an action plan. Kind of like work in school. You go and you, you've got an action plan. You've got a list. This is what I need to accomplish today. This is who I need to see today. This is who I need to call today. So worship causes us to leave with an action plan. Here is what God wants me to do. Donald McCullough wrote a book called The Trivialization of God, and in it he said, Because we are loved by God, because God has embraced us with the grace of Christ, we respond instinctively with a joyous gratitude that expresses itself in praise, and we call that response worship. And the late Paul Powell said in his book, Shepherding the Sheep, a word to the wise about worship. The goal of worship is not to meet needs, but to meet God, which is our greatest need. And so that's what every Christian needs to know about worship. Let's bow our heads, please. In a moment. Brother Gary will lead us in the singing of our song of invitation. The invitation is to the heart of the one here today who does not yet know Jesus. The Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, tugging at your very soul. And this is the day of salvation for you. And so I simply ask you to come from wherever you may be seated place your hand in mine and say, Pastor, I need Jesus and a member of our staff will be here to pray with you, to share God's word with you, and to be with you as you come into a personal saving relationship with Jesus today. Now, for those of us, which would be the majority in this room who've made that decision, let's thank God for the joyous privilege of worship today. Let's remember that in worship we see God, we see ourselves, and we know that God has something for us to do on the basis of what the Spirit says to us. So we leave this place today in obedience. And so, Father, I pray that every believer would leave here today with Your word in our ears and in our hearts, knowing that whatever it is you desire for us to do this very day or tomorrow, this week, we know it, we'll do it. Thank you for the joyous privilege of worship, of seeing you, of seeing ourselves, of having the opportunity of confessing our sin, being in right relationship with you. Thank you so much. Whatever it is now that you want to do in the hearts of believers, I pray that you would do it. And I pray that you would irresistibly draw that person who needs Jesus to yourself today. In the Savior's name I pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and sing.